Welcome to the Essential Church Podcast. Our goal is to strengthen and equip church and ministry leaders just like you through practical and theological discussions about some of the most pressing and important issues facing the local church today. We feature conversations with members of our team here at New Life Church in Colorado Springs, Colorado, as well as interviews with authors and thinkers from around the world. You can follow The Essential.Church on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter. Watch episodes on our YouTube channel and also subscribe to our podcast via iTunes and Spotify, where you'll find a full archive of previous conversations. And now, here is this week's episode of The Essential Church Podcast. Welcome to this episode of The Essential Church Podcast, an ongoing conversation about some of the most important issues facing the local church today. I'm your host, Andrew Arndt, and today I want to take you to a conversation that Daniel Grothy and I uh, had recently with Dr. Chris Green. Uh, Chris is a professor of public theology at Southeastern University in Florida and a teaching pastor at Sanctuary Church in Tulsa, Oklahoma. He was here for the weekend recently preaching for us, and we thought we'd sit down with him to talk about his new book, All Things Beautiful, and Aesthetic Christology. If uh, you follow Chris's work at all, uh, you know that Chris is one of the most profound and integrated thinkers, I think, in the Christian landscape today. And this book is a beautiful representation of what, we, of what he does. Uh, he offers some delightful readings of Scripture, of Christian theology, and the arts as a way of training us to spot God in our experience, in a way that most of us are not normally trained to do. Uh, I thought that this was one of the best books that I have read, not only all year, but maybe in the last five years. It was just uh, just incredible, and our conversation with him uh, yielded some, epif- uh, some epiphany moments, both for Daniel and for I. It was just wonderful. So without further commentary from me, here's to the conversation with Dr. Chris Green. Well, man, we are with our dear friend, Dr. Chris Green, today. Uh, We've had Chris on the podcast before, uh, a season ago, I think. We were together talking about Sanctifying Interpretation, uh, one of your very fine books. Chris is the author of... How many books have you written, Chris? Actually, not six. Are you losing count? No, well, that's that. No, 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 it's not that. It's that I'm that incompetent. Like, you know, (laughs) at lunch today, I was forgetting... What day it is? Because so. I can do good theology, but the counting, <laughs> the counting is, is really challenging. It's really a lot. Yeah. Well, we're excited to have Chris here. Chris is uh, Chris is uh, a professor of public theology at Southeastern University in Florida, and he's a teaching pastor at Sanctuary Church in Tulsa. And we've got him here preaching for the weekend for us, so he's covering Friday night and East on Sunday morning. And we thought, well, we've got Chris in town, man. We got to get him on the podcast one more time, talking about some of the recent work that he's been doing. So the book that was just released, I want to say a month ago, maybe, is that right? I think that's right. Is All Things Beautiful and Aesthetic Christology, which, uh, Chris, I got to say, this is uh, not just one of my favorite books that I've read this year. I think it's one of my favorite books that I've read in the last 10 years. It's really fascinating. Thank you. Uh, You describe it in the opening chapter as uh, an aesthetic Christology, an ecumenical aesthetic Christology, rather, which both honors the Christian theological tradition and challenges the revelations of the arts. So this book does uh, something that I think is incredibly unique, which is that it's getting us to think theologically about the biblical text, and it's also getting us to interact with the arts in a way that not very many books do. They don't do that crossover work nearly as well as you do it. I don't know very many books actually that do it at all. So this is fascinating. I would love for you to start the conversation, Chris, just by talking about this merger between Christian theology, reading the scriptures, and the arts 
talk about why this is important to you and where it mm. came from for you. Because yeah. this is different than work that you've done. Oh, yeah, you've yeah. done a lot of great sort of dogmatic the- theological work. But this is like a blending of genres that's new. So talk about where this came from for you. Yeah, I, I think I'll, I'll give you three experiences. One is when I was really, really young, probably seven, eight, nine, somewhere in there. My parents took me to a museum and I somehow got separated from them like Jesus in uh, Jerusalem. The only way in which I'm like Jesus is that <laughs> I eluded my parents. <laughs> but when, when my mom found me, I was standing in front of this painting and I was like having an out of the body experience. Like I, I was weeping and I was really, really young. I mean, it, and mm. it's, I didn't even know what was happening to me. I, I still remember very vividly, like, you know, what it felt like to to see the painting. It was hanging. So it, this museum was actually in a house. And so all the walls and all the rooms were covered with, with mostly native art or art, you know, cowboy and Indian style stuff. It's what you get in Oklahoma. Mm-hmm. And I was walking from one room to the next, and I wasn't interested in the art. They also had guns and knives and arrowheads and all that. So, I mean, I'm a kid walking through looking at that stuff, and there was a painting hanging above the the doorway of a, a native brave, a, a soldier, a warrior, and his midsection had been emptied, right? And you could see through him. He was transparent. Huh. So it was a kind of realistic painting, almost photographic, but then the middle part of him was invisible. Like you could see through him mm. into the, the sky behind him. Mm. And I, it like gripped me. Like in a way, it, I'd never had an experience like that. I mean, it was, now I would say it was a kind of mystical experience, right? Like something about that opened me up to God. And my parents, you know, bought me a print of it and I still, still have the print. So that, that's first. Mm-hmm. Then jump to 10 years later. I'm in college. I'm a freshman in college. And I have no clue, like what, I'm not good at anything, like literally anything. And I'm not sure what I'm, like, I love to play basketball. Mm -hmm. And that's about all I know about my life. Like, I don't have any talents. I'm going to starve to death, apparently, um, (laughs) because I'm not, I'm not good enough at at anything to, to make, and I had no real interests, right? And I'm in class because I didn't know where else to go. I'm in Bible school (laughs) and I'm sitting in class. It's, English class, and the professor reads the opening lines from Moby Dick, which I'd never, I'd never heard of the book. Mm. I'd never heard of the book. And he's like four sentences yeah. in, and the yes. same thing happened. Wow. Like, like I was just out of my body suddenly, or, or deeply in it. And I, I realized in that moment, or at least now looking back on it, the way I think of it is, I realized in that moment, okay, so that's me somehow. Like some, that is touching something in me deeply. So the next semester, I think maybe the next year, I took, I took every class I could with that professor, right? And the next one he taught, or one of the next ones he taught, was on, it was called Fantasy Fiction. And we read Tolkien and Lewis mm. and G.K. Chesterton and George MacDonald. Mm. And when I started in on George MacDonald's Lilith, which is mm-hmm. a story about the Queen of Hell, I read it all in one setting, the whole, you know, it's not a long book. I read the whole thing in, in one setting one night. And I was a the, when I started it, I was a kid who had, you know, no clue. Right? Huh. When I finished that book, I was a theologian, right? I, like, I knew this is what I'm going to do, right? And that this, 
But it, I became a theologian reading literature and looking reading at a painting. Literature. Like that, that's, that's how I became a theologian. So I grew up, obviously, in a King James-only Pentecostal, sure. old-school, sweaty Pentecostal church. <laughs> so, I, I mean, I had read through the King James Bible multiple times by the time I was in college. I knew the Bible, but I didn't read it with any artfulness. Right. 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 But once I connected with yeah. Moby Dick and then Lilith, it was on. Yep. the Bible was something entirely new to me. Okay, I want to quote you here and then just ask you, ask you a follow-up question, just okay. to unpack this a little bit more. But you write, this is in the opening chapter here, you write um, that I remain convinced that if we give texts the attention Jesus teaches us to give all things, take heed is what Jesus says again and again, we will find that they continue to yield surprises reminding us that the whole creation, including our artistic work, so by text, you don't just mean the Bible. No, no, You mean exactly Tolkien right. and Dostoevsky, and you mean art, and you mean poetry. So you're talking about the whole thing here. Yep. That the whole creation, including our artistic works, lives and comes alive in the light of what scriptures, the scriptures teach us about who God is and what God desires for us. So as I read All Things Beautiful, what I kept thinking was like, oh, what Chris is doing here is Chris is training us, or he's trying to anyway, he's trying to train us in a way of seeing the world yeah. that is an attempt to help us see that God is all and in all. And I think evangelicals especially are used to discerning God in the pages of Scripture. We're maybe not as adept at discerning God in the pages of our lives or in the pages yeah. of culture. Does that resonate with you? Is that kind of at the, the oh. center of what you're trying to do, what you're trying to bring across to your readers in the book? Definitely. Although I, I might say, I don't know that we're even a, adept at discerning God in Scripture so much as we mm. are recognizing... Yeah, yeah, in love with the book. Well, in, <laughs> in love with what the, we think the book does for us, right? Mm. I mean, so I don't, I don't mean this in a cynical way, and I certainly don't want to, to shame anyone for it, but I do think there's a way in which... What we love about the Bible are the ways in which it affirms and confirms our ideas. Mm -hmm. And I don't think that's quite right either, right? right. And I think, so yes, I'm agreeing with you. I am suggesting give attention not just to Scripture but to, to all things mm -hmm. and, and all other texts. But also give it the kind of attention that Jesus gives to us, right? right. That Jesus calls us to give. So not just pay attention to right. it. Looking for loopholes or looking right. for, you know, confirmation of your bias or whatever. Sure, right. Like, like, look, let it be what it is. Right. You, and and marvel at that. Do you think that this is what's happening in the Gospels when Jesus goes around telling stories? Mm -hmm. And they're going, Master. Right. Give it to us straight. Right. Yeah. What are you saying? Right. What are you like the parables that he's dropping along the way? Like it seems to me that this is an ancient problem. Mm -hmm. <laughs> this yeah. is not a new evangelical mm -hmm. problem. But we we want Jesus to give it to us directly, directly. Yeah. in a in a literal way. Talk to me about like that ancient. Yeah. Yeah. So I think the if you go to Proverbs one, I mean there there's a there's a way in which you know so Proverbs opens with a call to the young yeah. to learn wisdom, right? To you, you need to devote yourself to learning and learning wisdom. And to do that, you're going to have to attend to the dark sayings of the wise. You're going to mm. have to attend to parables and proverbs. Mm -hmm. You're going to have to attend to the stories they tell. And I, this is striking to me because I think the church culture I grew up in, and, and more broadly, the kind of middle-class, white... American culture I grew up in, in which our churches flourished, they, the pressure was always on the teacher to be plain, right. not the student to learn what was not plain. Right. Sure. Like you didn't seek out the truth. 
the, the job of the teacher was to make the truth kind of unmissable. Uh-huh. Right? Like you preach it in ways in which no one could misunderstand or write it in ways in which nobody could possibly mm-hmm. miss the point. But mm-hmm. I, I think what, what the people of Israel knew, what Jesus embodies, what Scripture gives us, because this is who God is, is that we actually need the work yeah. right. of interpretation. And this right. goes, you know, the book that yeah. we talked yeah. about last time, like I think most of us see interpretation as a problem to be solved. Yeah. Right. Like having to interpret a conversation we're having or having to interpret a biblical text or having to interpret a poem or a, a movie, like that feels like it's frustrating that we have to do that. And if it's hard, something's wrong. Yes, right. absolutely. That, that difficulty is a sign of, of some kind of brokenness. Yeah. Mm-hmm. But theologically, I would want to say that I think suffering is a result of sin and the yeah. fall, yeah. but difficulty is built into yes. creation. Work the ground. Right? <laughs> it, it, that kind of work and the work of the artist is to make things yes. difficult in exactly the right way. Yeah. And, the, and the work of the one who receives art, and there's just yeah. as much artfulness in the receiving as in the giving. It yeah. takes just as much artfulness to read a to, poem well yeah, as it right. does to write it. Right, right. And in whatever else, to paint. or what, I mean, it's different skills, yeah. different sensibilities, but it's no less critical. And personally, like, I, I enjoy, I have more delight in the mm-hmm. receiving than mm-hmm. in the making. Yeah. Like, I, it, for me... You know, obviously, I write. I try to write a lot. I try to write well, and I love writing. Mm-hmm. But I, I would still rather read someone else's line yeah, than sure. write a perfect one of my own. Mm-hmm. And I, I think that I don't think that's a right or wrong. My point is, like, that is gratifying. Like that, being able to to recognize, oh, I saw what you did in that line. Like that, that to me is a gift. But one, our churches. And again, this is not all Christians yeah, everywhere, yeah. but our mm-hmm, churches yeah. in particular mm-hmm. have taken away from people. We, so, we've stripped them of it. So let me ask you, if if we have tried to strip it down and make it simple and easy, and that's not always the right way, if, if the right way is the hard work and the mm. rising up into it, yep. to Lady Wisdom's call, who's doing it well out there? Mm. Just give us a glimpse of the 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 people making the right kind of movies or the poets that who's doing it well that we can look at and begin to pay attention to oh sure I, I think the first person that jumps to mind is Christian Wyman mm-hmm. so uh, he's sl- slowly I think I, I don't know how he would characterize it but but from a distance it looks to me like he's someone who's slowly converting or converted to Christianity but is is an incredible poet but. I'm even more interested in his reflections on what his experience as a poet has been. Right? Mm-hmm. So, like, I think he's a, a really, truly a great poet, but he's also a wise soul. Mm-hmm. And there's a line, and I can't remember if this is in a poem or in something I heard him say about his poems, in which he says, Christ is a shard of glass to the guts. Ooh. And, like, that line right there, mm-hmm. right? That's what I mean, right? Yeah. Like that's somebody who's paying attention yes. to what the the text does. I mean, yeah. I, I, there's a there's a poem that he wrote. I heard him read once, and he shared the story behind the poem. And he talked. He had, he was diagnosed with cancer, and it, I mean, it was a death sentence. Yeah. Like he mm-hmm. was up against the last weeks of his life, and and knew it, and in incredible pain. And he sets down to work on this poem, and he's angry. You know, mm-hmm. he's he's frightened, right? And he gets lost in writing that poem and this line suddenly occurs to him, wow. comes from nowhere. Wow. And he said, in that moment, I'm crying, I'm laughing, like I'm at peace, 
right? Like nothing, my, like my wife, my life was in hell. My, my family was breaking apart. Mm. And right in that moment, this word came to me, right? Mm. This word occurred. And, mm. and those, I mean, so Wyman's the first person that comes to mind because that to me is like, that's what yeah. artfulness gives you. That's yeah, art but, done in Gethsemane. But it also, yeah. I think artfulness in that way opens us up to the way that God saves us. Absolutely. And so I'm thinking about at the Emily Definitely. Dickinson's great line where she says, tell all the truth, but tell it slant. Yeah. You got to find a way to say it that's not as straightforward. And I think the reason, I mean, I don't know what her motives were, but when I think about that, I think the reason that she said that, it must have something to do with the way that God actually does save us and reveal himself to us in the Absolutely. story itself. There are moments in the biblical story Absolutely. That are startlingly direct. Absolutely. You know, there is God's revelation to Abraham in the smoking fire pot, and there's Moses on Mount Horeb, and there's the transfiguration, and all of that. But the rest of the canon is really more like the road to Emmaus. Mm -hmm. It's Jesus sidling up next to us, and we don't even realize that he's next to us. So part of, I think, the value of the arts is that it's teaching us to spot Jesus in the places where maybe we wouldn't have expected to see him. So I want to just ask you, and this, I think this might touch on sanctifying interpretation a little bit, so I don't want to encroach too much on that territory, but what do you think it says to us about God that God himself is schooled in the arts of indirection? Yeah. <laughs> why, why not directly? And I have so many people, you know, people that struggle with faith will say this, like if God is really God and he really loves us, why doesn't he just rip back the veil mm -hmm. and reveal himself to us in a blaze of glory? Why is it that it there's all these types and shadows and indirection, and why does God tuck himself inside our experience in ways that are difficult to, for us to see? Talk to us about why, in your opinion, why it's mm -hmm. crucial that God does what he does, because this is how he saves us. Yeah, I, I think layers and layers here. One of the layers is what, what we were saying earlier about the good of difficulty, right? That I think there's, and I think we know this from sports, we know this from working out or trying to, to eat well or trying to master an instrument or a language like it's when something is demanding that you summon parts of yourself you didn't know were there mm -hmm. right so i think one of the layers of this conversation is god is demanding in a way that summons out of us gifts we don't know we have right mm -hmm. so god is kind of putting us under pressure because he knows mm -hmm. right what we don't yet know about mm -hmm. ourselves right it's it's mm -hmm. i'm going to put you in a situation that you think is too much for you, but I know what's actually going to happen is mm. something's going to come up out of it. So I think that's one part of it. It's the, it's the, it's the, he's the father, right? Teaching his children. He's the, you know, the mother forcing the eagles to fly kind of that. So that's some of it, right? Yeah. Does that make sense? I think some of it is our brokenness, right? That we, there's a line in another one of George MacDonald's novels. I, I may have these switched, but I think it's in Fantasties where the, there's a man named Mr. Vane who's kind of gone through the wardrobe, mm -hmm. through the mirror, and he's encountering this wise raven mm -hmm. that is trying to save him. Trying mm -hmm. to, and Mr. Vane is getting angrier and angrier and angrier that the, ra that the raven keeps talking, talking in parables. Like, mm -hmm. Just what tell me plainly. Right? Tell me where I am. And it's been years since I read it, but he says something to the effect of, no, 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 I'm not talking in riddles. Yeah. You are you're bent. You're the riddle. Yeah. It only sounds bent because you're bent. You're bent. Yeah. Right? Like what I'm saying is absolutely straightforwardly true. Yeah. It just sounds like it's not straightforward yeah. because you don't know how to be truthful. Yeah. Right? 
So I think that's another layer to it, right? Like there's a lot of things in which holiness. Like yeah. in, in other words, let me put it like this: I think there was, there certainly was, and is in Jesus a, a kind of playful honoriness, right? Where he's mm-hmm. teasing us with, "What? Well, come on, you'll get it." Like that's mm-hmm. how I read like the the exchange with the Canaanite woman. You know, it's not yeah. right for me to give yeah. you know bread to dogs. Like that's not mean spirited. That's yeah. not that's playfulness, right? Mm-hmm. So I think there's that, but I also think there's a way in which Jesus is genuinely bewildered by why we don't get what he's saying. Like yeah. that there's a, there's like, yeah. isn't this obvious to you? Right. Yeah. And it's yeah. not obvious to us yeah. because of the ways in which sin warps Foolish and our perception. Generation. Like we can't see what's right in front of our faces. Right. Yeah. And one way of thinking about what sin does is that, I mean, sin is like always training us not to see what's right in front of our faces. Mm. Right. Like to mm-hmm. never notice mm-hmm. that the bush is burning and not mm-hmm. consumed that never notice that this is God himself in the flesh in front of me, right? Like that sin, evil is working to keep us from noticing those things. Mm. So I think some of God's indirection is he can't get our attention any other way. Well, yeah, like in a condition of sin, we, it's, we are incapable of noticing, to quote Gerard Manley Hopkins, that yes. the world is charged with the grandeur, grandeur of God. God. Yeah. It would be obvious to us if we weren't the riddles Absolutely. already. But right. God has to unriddle us. By coming at us sideways in a sidelong way. Absolutely. So I think, I, and then the third layer I would say is, I I think it's it is a kind, and maybe these overlap, but I, I think there's a distinction here that it's it's meant to actually give us the skills we need to turn to others, right? So the huh. there's something about giving that kind of attention and learning that you can be surprised that if I will give this my attention, it will surprise me mm-hmm. that the next time I'm in a situation where I'm with someone, I have that experience of, mm-hmm. okay, if I just pay attention, mm-hmm. there's more here than I'm seeing right now. Right. Mm-hmm. I think it starts mm-hmm. to shape your soul to read the story yeah. for, in front of you. Yeah. to see what's in front of you. And in a way that's open to surprise in a yeah. way that's kind of always, you know, Laughing like I don't know how God's going to get me this time, but yeah, He will. Right? He That's will. what He does. Yeah, so I, does. I think those are for me. Those are the reasons. All right. God so teaches like he does. your book does something that I haven't really seen done much at all, which is to organize around the church calendar. Mm-hmm. And so for those of you who are new to the church calendar, Chris is starting in Advent and then moving to Christmas and then Epiphany and Ash Wednesday, Lent, Good Friday, Easter, and on around the church calendar. So. Why is that important for you? Why is it instructive to, to build the book around the church calendar? Take us into that. Yeah, so Andrew will know this for sure. I mean, th- th- one of the ways I've been, one of the people who's deeply shaped me is Robert Jensen. And Robert Jensen's theology is really a theology about the time God makes for us and the mm-hmm. time God takes with us, mm-hmm. right? So Jensen will go so far as to say, you know, God's life is Father, Son, and Spirit, is the reason we experience time as past, present, and future. Mm-hmm. That there is a past because God is the source of all things. There's a future because God is the goal of all things. Uh-huh. There's a present because God is the guide yeah. who integrates yeah. past with future. Right? That's, that's a simple thing to say. It's like you'll never recover from yeah. realizing that that's true. Right? Yeah. So part of the is once you realize that time itself is a creature... Hmm. That God has made for us. You remember there's that line Jesus says in which, you know, human beings were not made for the Sabbath. Yes, Sabbath was made, made for human beings. Time, time is, is for you. Right? Yeah. 
God has made time for us. And the Christian year, like celebrating feast days, paying attention to the seasons, Advent or Lent or whatever, is a way of not letting ourselves forget time is a gift. Mm-hmm. Time is something God has given me because <laughs> I need it. Yeah. Like I, yeah. And I need different kinds of time. Exactly. Yes. It's yes. not all right? one amorphous block. Yeah. That's right. And it's the... the um, Susan Sontag, who was not a believer, she was an essayist and artist. She she has this wonderful line in which she says, "Because of time, we don't experience everything at once." <laughs> Apparently, God doesn't want us to, yeah. right? Like God doesn't want me to have all of it at once, right? He mm-hmm. wants me to be able to integrate it, the movements, right? But I need season. I mean, this mm-hmm. is this is the way I would argue Ecclesiastes three yeah. should be read, right? That it's it's he's not saying something as obvious as you know, there's a time for everything. That's just the way it goes. No, 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 no. There's a time for everything because yeah. God is trying to show you all of this. Yes. But he wants you to experience it in its time, exactly. right? And that's part of what the books, yeah. that's, an, that's what I'm alluding to, right? Yeah. All things beautiful in yeah. his time, time, right? Yeah. And yeah. That's, that's why it's organized around the Christian year, that mm-hmm. it's not, I mean, I grew up, as I told you, and as you know, in like a, a kind of Pentecostalism that's that was only interested in the high days. Not, I mean, they knew nothing about the church calendar, but right. in terms of, yeah. you know, we were interested in those kind of moments in which the fire is on Mount Sinai and mm-hmm. no one can deny it, right? Like the, mm-hmm. the, those moments in which God's presence is so obvious yeah. that... Mount Carmel. Yeah. You, you can't recover. Mm-hmm. Right. right? And, the, and we tried to replicate that experience any way we could, right? right. Like, and we wanted no part of... The in between times, yeah. right? Like we wanted, we wanted no sense of we we wanted to come back to that same experience over and over and over again, and it's I don't think it's good for us. I think God right. means so, for us yeah. to have seasons, and now some of those seasons, of course, are not God's doing. Right. But I think back to the point about suffering and difficulty. I think there are seasons of suffering that God mm-hmm. is not making for us, mm-hmm. but. Seasons themselves, the fact that time yeah. moves like it does yeah. and that we inhabit time the way that we do, that mm-hmm. is absolutely what mm-hmm. God wants for us. And it's important, I think, to be able to make ourselves at home in that, right? Like find some peace with it. We need to wrap up in a second here, Chris. I'm wondering if just as sort of a parting maybe word from you to our listeners, what's the shift that you're hoping will take place uh, in your readers as they read through this book shift in perception, shift of way, shift of the way that they perceive God. What's the shift that you're hoping will take place? Oh man, I mean, I it, nothing. I mean, I think what would bring me the greatest peace or pleasure would be for someone to have an experience something like what I had, you know, looking mm-hmm. at that painting all those years ago, or reading those novels that I, that I mentioned, or someone who has had that experience of the same pieces that I'm writing about here. Because really, what I'm writing about are pieces that have affected me. Mm-hmm. Right? And these are things I was reading when I stumbled on to yeah. a bush that was burning and was not consumed, right? Yeah. And the and if we share those experiences, I mean that seems like a gift. I mean I I, I there's a there's a kind of family around yeah. the shared experiences of beauty. And mm-hmm. I think that's yeah. It's as it, as it should be. Hmm. The book is All Things Beautiful. The author is Chris Green. Chris, we love you, man. Yes. Love you thanks, thanks for being with us today. And thank you um, 
just for your your presence, man. The way that you share the gift of your own being with the world, uh, it is making all things beautiful. Thank you, friend.